Hey, everybody. Welcome to the 100th episode of the Rogue Retirement Lounge. Today, I am psyched to share uh, an interview I did about a week ago with Anthony Scaramucci. I really couldn't think of a better guest for my 100th episode, and I'm really grateful that he uh, took the time to join me. So as you may know, Anthony uh, was the White House Communications Director for Trump for 11 days back in 2017. You also might have seen him on the reality show Special Forces, World's Toughest Test uh, last year. Uh, but if you follow the finance world, you know him as the founder of Skybridge Capital. Uh, and that's an investment firm with um, almost $2 billion under management and almost $600 million of that invested in digital assets, including Bitcoin. He's the author of the book, The Sweet Life of Bitcoin, which I've read and highly recommend. And finally, he's the host of the Open Book Podcast, where he interviews authors of books he's read, uh, which is an important distinction. Um, he's had some great guests on that show, especially uh, David Rubenstein. That episode is a great one, so definitely check that out. And I've got a little bit more on David Rubenstein a little bit later here. But... Um, what else about Anthony? Um, he's a very cool guy. He's down to earth. He's very smart. And he's knowledgeable about money and the economy, uh, U.S. and global politics and world history, just to name a few. He's the kind of guy that you'd want to have a beer or six beers with because he's both interesting and interested. Now, uh, if your immediate reaction to his name is to hate him because of his dotted line to Trump, I would suggest you learn a little bit more about him because back in the day, he uh, supported both the Hillary Clinton campaign and the first Obama campaign. So he's he's a balanced, uh, reasoned guy. And most important to me, at least, he's a Bitcoiner. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk about Bitcoin and Skybridge and his suggested uh, allocation to Bitcoin and my semi-outrageous suggested Bitcoin allocation. At a couple of points in the interview, though, like a total dummy... I messed up David Rubenstein's name and called him David Bernstein. Uh, and like a gentleman, Anthony didn't correct me, not that I would have minded. So anyway, when you hear me mention David Bernstein, I'm actually talking about David Rubenstein, the David Rubenstein from the Carlisle Group. And again, I would highly recommend that you catch Anthony's podcast episode where he interviews David because it's just uh, really good. Um, what else? We talk about uh, gold. We talk about ESG and some other topics. And I intentionally didn't get to Trump because, well, you know, he said probably all there is to say. And if you really want to know about his thoughts or his experience, or you want to hear his reflections on the subject, you can Google it. So let's get right to it. Here is my 100th episode interview with Anthony Scaramucci. Anthony, thanks so much for joining me. Nice to see you. Matt, same here. Thank you. I love your hat, Matt. All right. That's keeping the uh, faith. That's right. Yeah. So it's been dark times. Let's just get straight to Bitcoin. So um, yep. first of all, I, I was introduced to you by... Uh, I got your book, um, Sweet Life oh, of great. Bitcoin. Yeah, it was great. And it was great because not only did it kind of explain some of the more hard to grasp concepts of Bitcoin, but also just the plot of, of Skybridge kind of getting into it was cool. So it was a, definitely an interesting read. And it had the white paper right in the back, too. So it's a, it's a good book, and I highly recommend it. Well, listen, I appreciate it. I tried to write something, and my clients are... 
well, that was a couple of years ago now, but my clients are not super sophisticated on Bitcoin. I put some Bitcoin in a lot of people's portfolios. Some are super happy. Some are super mad. Uh, some are now in between super happy and super mad. I, I don't know, yeah. but I think they're, I think we're going to be right and they're going to be very happy. And I think that's what a good financial advisor, a good asset manager does is leads, leads through seeing investment innovation, whether it's an AI, digital assets like Bitcoin or other types of things. I took a lot of guff from people about 25 years ago buying Amazon. And people said, <laughs> oh, you know, that's an internet bookseller and it's just worthless. And, you know, I'm old enough to remember Henry Blodgett, when the stock was at 40, said it was going to 400 and people laughed at him and he was wrong and went to 3000, you know, so mm -hmm. you know, here, 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 here we are. I think we're going to be right. And uh, I just wanted to be able to explain it to clients so they could be mad at me, but at least they're educated. If they're going to be mad at me, I want them to be educated and mad at me as opposed to uneducated and mad. Sure. So if they miss the opportunity, at least you gave them the opportunity before they yeah. missed it. Amen. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Bitcoin, one one thing that happened this month was the the new, I guess, FASB rules that allowed um, fair value accounting of Bitcoin on corporate treasuries or in corporate treasuries. Do you think that's going to have a kind of a snowball effect of people kind of joining the micro strategy bandwagon or is it going to just be yeah. kind of a nothing burger? Question. Really good question. So, so the short answer is no, I don't think it's going to have a uh, big impact in the short run. And the reason why is corporations, the ones that you and I are looking to have Bitcoin add to their balance sheet, right? That would be Microsoft and Apple and Google and Facebook. Right. I think they're still going to take a very, very conservative approach and have like corporate bond ladders and treasury ladders to be defensive. Um, I think what's really going to happen is the retail marketplace through places like BlackRock and Fidelity and ARK Asset Management are going to power the next wave of demand for Bitcoin. If you and I are, if you're kind enough to invite me on your podcast three years from now, I think we'll be talking about, hey, you know what? Three years ago, they passed this law that allowed people to hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet like cash. Right. And, and corporations are now finally adopting it. And by the way, I will say this to you. When I came into Bitcoin in 2020, I said that these guys like BlackRock weren't ready they would come in, but everyone would say, oh, there's going to be great large-scale institutional adoption. Matt, it never happened. Right. But it is happening now, finally. So it did take the three years, and I think the corporate stuff will take at least another three years. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Well, you mentioned BlackRock. So um, the whole ETF denial, the, the ongoing revolving door of denials from the SEC – for mm -hmm. Bitcoin spot ETFs mm -hmm. is is just continuing on. If you mm -hmm. were to look in your uh, crystal ball, do you think and when do you think that we are going to see that first spot ETF approved? Well, you know, the Bitcoiners and the bulls were all saying, oh, we're going to get great big news in October, great big news in October. Right. The sober people like Larry Fink have quietly said, I'm hoping to get this thing approved in the first half of 2024. Gotcha. So unfortunately, you have Gary Gensler, and Gary Gensler is the paradigm example for why you cannot live in a dictatorship or an autocracy, because what happens is when people get drunk on power, you know, the human body 
and the brain is not organized for power. Our founders, thank God, understood that, right. which is why we diffuse the power. So what happens is when people get power, they get drunk on power, then they get corrupt on power. And like Lord Acton said, they get absolutely corrupt on power. And so our founders really wanted to spread things out. So thankfully in the U.S. we have a judicial system that checks the administrative system. These non-elected officials that are administrating laws, they have to do it fairly. It can't be arbitrary and capricious. But right. Mr. Gessler has decided that he wants to be arbitrary and capricious. He's decided that uh, for whatever reason, he hates Bitcoin. He hates the crypto industry, I think pri primarily because of Sam Bankman-Fried. Uh, he's been embarrassed by the industry in his mind. And him and Elizabeth Warren are like the Batman and Robin of anti-crypto. They're the anti-heroes of the digital marketplace and the digital innovation. And so they're driving around in the uh, clown car. They think they're in the Batmobile and they're making mistake after mistake. And, and he is going to, as long as they let him stay as the SEC chairman, delay this thing as long as possible. So he's lost a court case to Ripple. He lost a court case to Grayscale. He has some time here to appeal that case but he's smart enough to know that he's going to lose the appeal because a lot of conservative judges are going to agree with that, that court's decision. And so his attitude is, how long can I delay this? And the answer is probably another three to six months, maybe longer. Uh, and that's what he's going to try to do. And I think he, I don't know, I guess he went to a couple of guys already and said, hey, I think Ark was supposed to make a decision on what he was doing with them November 10th. He already told him that he was delaying them. And he went through a whole slate of them and said that he was delaying them. So, you know, but listen, Matt, if you look like Jiminy Cricket in real life, you would take it out on people too. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, the guy, this is the guy, you know, and there's nothing, there's nothing we can do about it. This is what politics is about. This is why you have to be involved in election cycles and politics. And this is why, you know, the Biden administration, uh, will probably lose that election primarily, you know, remember there are 52 million people in the United States that hold digital assets. So right. I don't know, I guess, you know, if the Republicans decide they want to be pro crypto and the Democrats decide they want to be anti crypto, I think it's going to hurt them. Makes sense. Yeah. It's been a terrible administration for digital assets, by the way. Right. Terrible. So getting off, off the Bitcoin. Well, actually one, one more question. So, your clients come to you and yep. say they, they have read like the Bitcoin standard by Safedine and they kind of have an understanding of mm -hmm. it and they say, okay, Anthony, I believe the thesis. I believe that Bitcoin is a long-term uh, hold asset that's going to really make make a big difference in my life. Mm -hmm. I want to get in. What is Skybridge's kind of official, this is what your asset allocation to Bitcoin should be as a percentage of your net worth? A really good question. And so I tell the first thing I say to people is if you're not willing to do the homework, don't invest in Bitcoin. Because if you invest in Bitcoin and you're not willing to do the homework and then the volatility hits, you're going to run and you're going to lose your money because you're going to sell that Bitcoin at the worst possible moment, you know? So don't invest if you're not willing to do the homework. If you're willing to do the homework, you should probably have one to 3% of your assets um, in it. You know what I mean? Okay. Well, that makes sense. I, uh, my, this, this podcast is about retirement planning for entrepreneurs and I have 
pretty much ruined my listener base because I came out with my recommended asset allocation, even though this is not financial advice. But my, okay. uh, if, if I can share this with you, it's yeah, please. Uh, m- the formula is LE minus CA minus 10, which is life expectancy minus your current age minus 10 should be the Bitcoin percentage allocation. So say you're going to live to 95, I'm 54. So 95 minus 54 is 41, Mm -hmm. minus 10 is 31. So I believe that I should have 31% of my net worth in Bitcoin. Wow. After I said that, my, my, yeah, and my listenership dropped like precipitously because people were like, clearly they voted with their feet like I'm an idiot, but I, I stand by it. I really believe that. And especially if you're young, you should put even more in because with each, with each passing, you know, four year Mm -hmm. cycle, you have the upside is, is crazy. And I believe that in 2023 on a risk adjusted basis, this is the best time to get in. Yeah. Um, So is that, is that, is that crazy? Well, I mean, listen, I mean, so you didn't ask me this, so I'm going to tell you, you know, I have, uh, you know, m- you know, maybe 40% of my liquid net worth in Bitcoin. Okay. So I have stocks. I do have bonds. I do have uh, a large tranche of uh, capital in my funds, you know, and I have uh, some real estate, but liquid capital. Right. I got 40% of it in Bitcoin because, you know, that's part of my Bitcoin fund, if you will, Skybridge Bitcoin fund. Sure. And I am a big believer that this will be an exponential growth asset. This will become digital gold, a store of value for a future generation of the world's citizens. So you can be very comfortable with it. And if gold's at 10 to 12 trillion, depending on market prices, right. Bitcoin's at 500 billion, and I can make the case that Bitcoin is better than gold, why can't Bitcoin be a $30 trillion asset? And I think it can. That puts you at 60 times where we are right now. And so people look at me and say, you're absolutely crazy. That's not going to happen. But it did happen to other situations. Let's just make sure that we all tell people that, you know, Amazon did that. Yep. Uh, you know, Tesla did that. SpaceX has done that, you know, and Bitcoin's on the way to doing that. You know, people look at me like I'm crazy, but I think, I think it could be there. Well, and if you talk to Bitcoiners, so many of them entered the Bitcoin world through studying sound money and through being gold bugs. So many people were gold bugs and then realized, okay, Bitcoin is the next higher level of sound money due to the properties, you know, that that we all know, the portability, transferability, security, all of that make it a superior asset. And so like for me, I stopped buying my little silver bars and my gold coins when I discovered Bitcoin because mm-hmm. it does have the superior sound money quality. So so for you to say the amount of money that's currently in gold kind of making that transfer towards Bitcoin, I think it's it's perfectly reasonable. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I, well, I mean, I, I totally agree with you. So I got to start listening to your stuff, you know, so you've lost a few, <laughs> you're going to gain one, you know, I mean, I, <laughs> okay. I totally, I totally agree with you, you know? 
Well, real quick, because people, I think they they equate your name with a couple of things. A, your your time as press secretary. And B, on the the show Special Forces, which by the way was must must watch TV in my house. Um, in fact, let's talk about Special Forces if we can for a second. So, reality show. It looked like it was miserable. It looked. Uh, there was crazy stuff. I know I, I personally, I was on shark tank uh, in like season four. And so I know kind of under the hood, there's a lot of manipulation that goes on in reality TV that takes the, the, what, what it was really like and turns it into the edited version. And it can, the editor really holds your fate in their hand. So that said, once you got done with special forces and you saw it air, tell me if it was a, fair representation of your experience and B, if it was just a fair representation of the entire experience out there. Okay. So first of all, I'm very glad I did it. I learned a lot about myself. I got very close to Mike Piazza and uh, oh, good. Danny, Danny Amendola and I met Dwight Howard and we became uh, uh, close. Uh, and so you, you did a lot of bonding in a situation like that. And yeah, how many times am I going to be able to jump out of helicane, helicopter backwards or or drown in a car and pull myself out of it to get myself set on fire. So all those things are great. But they made a decision. It was a very woke decision that, you know, a guy like me, there was a chef on the show. He dropped out early. Yeah. We're like rich. We're, we're rich, puffy, white, bougie morons. And okay. if you were a person of color or you were a woman, you were like Wonder Woman. And so they did everything they could to cut me, to characterize me, to fit this sort of villainous uh, person that they wanted for their narrative. And so I didn't think that that was fair. Having said that, uh, you know this, you sign up for reality television, that's what they do. And so, you know, it didn't bother me, but you're asking me a clinical assessment of what yeah. they did, how they did it. That's what they did. I said, okay, that's a rich guy. Uh, he's white. I resent him. And so let's characterize him and we'll do the very best we can to cut him in a way where he comes across like a, uh, uh, a dickweed, you know, a stuck up moron. And, Okay, and they tried to do that, and it was reasonably successful. I mean, I didn't recognize myself. And there was one interview I had in the, uh, like, the prisoner's room. They took the hood off. They had chopped that interview so much, you couldn't even really understand what I was saying. They were doing the best they could to try to find something. Yeah. I guess I said once I went to Harvard or something like that, they get very upset. You're not supposed to say that, I guess, because I went to Harvard, and I'm not allowed to tell people I went to Harvard. You know, people get upset, and there's, like, memes going around when you say you went to Harvard. People think you're stuck up. I don't know. That's why I went to school. It's a big deal. I mean, there right. were some smart people there. There were some less smart people. But... You know this about reality television. I know this about reality television. You go on at your own peril. And, you know, my wife didn't like it. Uh, not okay. not the risk that I took in the show. She knew I was, uh, you know, cautious in some ways. I wasn't going to get hurt. But she didn't like the way they were characterizing me. Because, you know, remember, they got to fit me into a narrative, right? I'm an Italian kid from Long Island. They got, you know, the, the these, thems, and those. They're trying, even though I built businesses with the Harvard, no, I got to be like, the Jersey Shore cast member in a show like that. You see what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I'm cool with it. I don't care. But I mean, that's that's how it went. I would not recommend the show to somebody because they would do that to you. You know, you run the risk of that. And I don't think that that's fun. You know, I don't, I, I didn't, you know, 
I don't, I'm not watching the second season. I'm, I wasn't really a fan of that production team. Okay, gotcha. Well, as someone who watched it, and I, I felt kind of like I knew you because I had heard you on a few podcasts before mm -hmm. that. I, I uh, read your book, mm -hmm. and I didn't think that you came out looking that bad. I thought because okay. I feel like well, that's cool. Then you know, maybe I'm too yeah, close to it. I think maybe because yeah, for me, yeah. It, I mean, you can tell you, especially on that um, that interrogation scene, which those are those are really a kind of a dumb segment on that show mm -hmm. but, right you know putting a hood on you to go in but you could tell that that was chopped totally chopped you could see yeah. you could see it i don't know why um, i would do it like that though want to just let me have my interview and reflect yeah. who i am why are you trying to cut me into somebody that i'm not you know but that's okay right yeah, yeah. that's the way that reality television goes i appreciate you saying that but i i Look, I mean, here's the thing, you know, they could have made it like I'm a 59-year-old guy. I was the oldest person on the track except for Dr. Drew. Right. And when I left that track, I was the last standing civilian. Everybody else was either an Olympic athlete or a professional athlete. Right. And uh, they could have said, okay, this is like, this guy should have a Geritol commercial. You know what I mean? He's out there hustling in his middle age. Yeah. You know, and he broke his he broke his own onions to get to where he was. But they didn't want to characterize it like that. You know, there was one scene which was so, I, I, I mean, we had a group of people. They said, who, from weak, strongest to weakest, I put myself at the end of the line because I, I, I was remember that. Yeah, yeah, in episode yeah, two, yeah. The guy, Rudy Reyes, said, I thought I was the toughest person out there. He said that in, like, one of the back scenes. I'm like, okay, Rudy, I obviously didn't think I was the toughest person. On national television, I self-selected myself the weakest person out there. Right. Which was based on an observation of my age and the relative talents of the Olympians that I was up against, you know? So how could the guy then say, I thought I was the strongest guy out there? I didn't think that. He was trying to, I mean, this was being fed to him by the production people. You know what I mean? Right. So, but, but, but on one scene, I am self-selecting myself as the weakest person. And yet the directing staff guy with the big testosterone replacement muscles is saying that <laughs> I thought I was the strongest guy. It was just stupid, you know? Yeah. But anyway, I appreciate you bringing it up. I, I'm glad I did it, but I would never do it again. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I I loved it, and and yeah, like I said, I didn't feel like you came off bad at all. But but I feel like I knew you going into it. Just you know, well, it's very nice. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. So one of the ways that I got to know you is you appeared during the kind of election cycle on some Bitcoin podcasts and the like. And I remember one one specific. I can't remember what show you were on, but they were talking about, hey, Anthony, why is it not possible for us as a, the, our American system to to leave the two party system. You know, I think m most anyone you talk to will say that that the polarization and the the crazy hatred that's caused by our two party system and the gridlock, it, it's it's an untenable situation. It's destroying our country. On and on and on and on and on. Why don't we have a multi party system? And you we're able to explain it in terms as, as you're a political insider, you have inside knowledge that civilians like I don't have. Can you, for my audience, explain why we, that we're entrenched in the two party system and it's not going to change anytime soon? Well, it's pretty simple. You know, they got caught off guard about 32 years ago, 31 years ago with Ross Perot, you know, Ross Perot, 
came in as a, an insurgent. He said, there's a problem in the country. If you go back to Ross Perot's speeches, everything he said actually happened. He said we would be in permanent wars, perpetual wars. We would run the deficit sky high. Uh, we would focus on corporate and special interests and make those people very, very rich. And the middle and lower class would feel left out. That's exactly what he said. And so he got 19.9% of the vote, scared the life out of the Republican and Democratic parties. And so they yep. they got tighter and they got together and strengthened their duopoly on the system. So they added big hurdles to get on the ballot. They added big hurdles to get into the Congress. They did all these types of legalistic blocking mechanisms to form new parties. And so... um you know, it's almost impossible. I mean, you would need somebody with several billion dollars to just say, okay, you know what, I'm just going to dedicate the rest of my life, my time and my money to getting this third party established. And then whoever the candidates are that were going to start in that third party, uh, he or she would have to work with them to get them on the ballot everywhere. You know, the Republicans and the Democrats are already an installed base and they've already right. got it and they're doing everything they can to keep everybody else out of it. That's why you have like fringe Green Party or fringe Libertarian Party. Um, and that's what they did. They broke the system, you know. The other thing they did was the gerrymandering has gotten so out of control, you know, and, that, and sure. that's just to remind people what that is. They, they redistrict these districts to skim off their enemies and to bring in their friends, okay? So when I was growing up, those districts looked like geometric shapes that you and I could recognize from geometry. Yeah, squares. Now they yeah, use like jagged-edged jigsaw puzzles. Right. And, you know, it's a terrible thing for me to say, but I'll just say it rhetorically. Are we in a real democracy if the candidates are picking the voters? I thought the voters were supposed to pick the candidates. So what are we doing here, you know? Yeah. And... uh and they did that. And then the second thing is they they said no problem with Citizens United. If you want to spend a billion dollars on a campaign, go ahead. And guess what happens? The politicians got bought. And now all of the money's going to corporate welfare, crony capitalism, and all this sort of stuff. And I don't know. We're running trillions of dollars of deficit spending. Uh, but people get bailed out quickly if they're a corporation. They don't get bailed out quickly if they're an individual. True. You know? So... So I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I, somebody's going to have to break the fever. You know, we had uh, Lincoln at the right time. Mm -hmm. He only got 43% of the vote when he won. We had FDR at the right time. He got us through the Depression. He got us through the World War. Uh, we need one of those right now. We had Washington, by the way, at the right time. Right. Uh, but we need one of those right now. You mentioned uh, the deficit. We're at like 125% of GDP. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Um, dangerous. It's very dangerous. And in your in, and I want to talk about your podcast, but, but uh, David Bernstein, uh, you interviewed him and he said, you know, there's only like four or five ways out, you know, inflate your way out, tax your way out, decrease spending. Right. Um, at one point, at what, at what point to you is our debt going to explode and cause catastrophic damage? Or is this going to be a, what is it, MMT situation where we're going to just keep pushing and pushing and pushing and deficit spending and deficit spending ad infinitum and not have to yeah. deal with it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the path we're on. I mean, we could fix it. Um, it would take, it took us about 25 years to really create the current problem. Right. Uh, and just to remind people, we were running a budget surplus at the end of the Clinton administration, uh, $200 plus billion surplus. And he was advising to something called pay-as-you-go legislation. And so, so was George Herbert Walker Bush. And so they had guardrails on the Congress. And there was only certain things they could do if they were going to increase services, they had to increase taxes. And if they were going to lower taxes, they had to take down the uh, services. And so they stopped doing that after 9-11. They blew a big deficit hole in the system. You know, yep. by the way, the Republicans are as terrible as the Democrats. Absolutely. You know, uh, uh, Bush spent a tremendous amount of money, Obama tremendous amount of money. I mean, just to give you these numbers, we were seven trillion. George Washington to George W. Bush, seven trillion. Mm-hmm. And we've gone from Barack Obama into Donald Trump and Joe Biden, and we're now at thirty three, thirty four trillion. So we spent twenty six trillion dollars. So it's honestly terrible because all it all the only way we can pay for it is by monetizing it. You know, remember you had an eight percent right. inflation last year. So that knocks off $4 trillion worth of that debt, right? Because just devalued it, right? Sure. But that kills the middle class and it kills people that don't have assets, you know, because what happens is take somebody like my dad who worked with his time and his energy as a laborer for hourly wages. He didn't have any assets to speak of. And so he wasn't in, he wasn't protected. So the, the money came in. So we paid him a thousand dollars. Well, in the last year, that purchasing power is down to nine hundred and twenty dollars. You see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. No, 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 no bueno, no bueno. You know, it's just really bad, and and it's and it's it's a, it's an infection. You know what I mean? It's a disease. You know? Yeah, and and so, we, but we could fix it. You know, we could fix it. But you asked that question, so I do think it is MMT for as far as the eye can see. Yeah, I do think that we're going to continue to devalue the dollar and really hurt middle class and lower middle class savers, and I and it's terrible. Yeah, terrible. Technology could bail us out. Innovations in healthcare could bail us out. Uh, this new wave of prosperity coming from that sort of stuff, you know. So I'm not a pessimist. I'm just saying I don't like it. You know, somebody said to me once, "Well, we're at twenty percent of the GDP for healthcare. It's going to 40. I'm like, no, it's not. There's just too much technological innovation that's going to bring it down. If you saw the New York Times article, it, it's gone down over the last five years because of the immunotherapy and the gene-based therapies and preventative medicine. You know, it's the same thing with oil. You know, we we thought we were going to run out of oil when I was in school in the 1980s. People told me we were running out of oil. Yeah, and but we developed fracking and geopositioning satellites that can identify where the oil is around the world, and we have more oil. Then we know what to do with now, you know? And the same thing with Thomas Malthus in the 1840s. He said, we're going to starve. <laughs> you can't make the food fast enough right. for the growth of the population. But we figured it out. We have more people dying from obesity-related illnesses than we do from starvation. So I'm not a pessimist. I think we can fix it. And I think our innovations and our technology and the advancements of the economic aspects of our societies could fix it. But we got to get these uh, politicians and policy leaders in the right place to fix it. Makes sense. So uh, speaking of policy and the like, jumping around, ESG, 
Is ESG dead? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think ESG. I mean, they, I mean, I think what the, what happened there is like we're going through a huge cycle of virtue signaling. Okay, like you know, this woman that runs the vice president, she's terrible, but she's black and a woman, so they're not going to fire her. But she's absolutely terrible at her job, and she's not competent. And the reason why Joe Biden's approval ratings, among many things, is not going up, is they don't want her to be president. Right. You know, it's like they know that there's a good chance they elect him at 80. She's the successor, and she's not competent. But in in a prior era, John Garner got fired by Franklin Roosevelt. Henry Wallace was his vice president. He got fired by Franklin Roosevelt. You know, uh, no one remembers those guys, but they do remember Harry Truman. Right. And Harry Truman got nominated in 44 and became president in April of 45. And obviously he did a good job. I think history judges him well. But the point I'm making is that, like, nobody wants Kamala Harris, but she's black and she's a woman. So I'm a racist and a misogynist for saying that. But I'm not because I think I think that Condi Rice was extremely talented. She could run the presidency tonight. I'm not a right. racist. I'm just evaluating talent and making a merit-based decision. You see, so we we don't do that anymore now. You know, we don't do that. And it's very, very dangerous. We're virtue signaling. So this ESG stuff is all about virtue signaling. And, uh, you know, I think that the, uh, the counterdote to that is a lot of these guys went to the Black Rocks of the world and said, hey, that's our money in your ETFs. Who the hell are you to vote all these stupid virtue signaling things that are just costly and wasteful. You know, I mean, one of the more stupid things is the electric car. Well, yeah, you have to know that that's a stupid thing because they're killing six acres of land in Africa, destroying the environment in Africa to get the lithium battery out. They finally put the lithium battery in the car, but then they have to fire up a coal plant to torque up the electricity to electrify the car. So what do these people think? That the electricity is not being made by carbon? Yeah, they do think that. How is the electricity being made? Okay, so, so guys, what are you guys doing? You know, and then and it's the same thing over and over again. We're going to stop the drilling in the U.S., which is going to cause a little bit of an energy crisis, but then we're going to go over to Saudi Arabia and ask them to do more drilling. Guys, we're living on the same planet. So if they're drilling over there, it's affecting the atmosphere the same way it would be affecting the atmosphere here. Oh, no, but we're virtue signaling that we're cleaner. But you're importing the oil from them. Yep. Oh, by the way, I'm a green person, but can you pass me my G6? I'm going to fly <laughs> to my seven houses and fly around with my G6, but you can't have your Hummer, but can you pass me my G6? Mm -hmm. Is the fuel tank fu fueled yet? I'm ready to go. You see what I mean? So I, 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 I think ESG is dead, dead, dead. That's my opinion. Good. Good. Interesting. Okay. So if you were jumping back to you, if you were going to give your 25 year old son investing advice for the next 20 years, how would you say that they should approach it? Well, I've done something that's served me well. I have paid myself every month. So a portion of my pay since 1991 has gone into stocks and bonds. Okay. Mostly stocks. And then when I started my business, a portion of my pay every month went into my funds. And now it's going into my funds or my fund for Bitcoin or my fund for Ethereum. 
And so what I would tell somebody is if you want to be rich and successful, take your time, pay yourself first. So even if you made $2,000 a week, $1,000 a week, take $50, $100 and pay yourself. Buy into an ETF, buy one share of something, you know, half a share of something. Yeah. And everyone do it. And then over 30 years, you're going to have a gigantic nest egg way bigger than you thought because the world is going to grow. There's going to be compounding. There's always going to be a set of bad news, but there's always going to be some great news. This, this conversation in this format, I don't think could have happened 15 years ago. I don't think we had the technology nope. to run over phone lines this type of conversation where we're, we're George Jetson talking to each other in a way that they envisioned in the 1960s. So for me, I would say the future is bright. It's going to be pocked with things. The government's certainly not helping us. But I would say that if you're buying stocks and you're holding them or you're buying Bitcoin and you're holding that that asset, you're going to be rewarded. So that would be the messaging. Gotcha. Okay. So another thing uh, in my podcast is that I have kind of moved further away from in talking about investing and talking about real estate and stuff like that, more to kind of thinking about what the world is going to be like 20 years from now when I'm retired, when I'm 75 and I start being kind of unable to care for myself, what kind of a world am I going to live in? Because in the last five years, the world has really changed. And some of the things, some of the headlines that you're seeing today, you wouldn't have believed that you would be seeing five years ago. So in looking at not where the puck is, but where the puck is going to be, just kind of mm -hmm. from, from the standpoint of American civilization, what do you think are America's going to look like in 20 years when your kids are in their 30s, 40s and when you are in your late 70s? Yeah, good it's a great question. So let's say something optimistic. I think we're going to go through a a very difficult governmental period in America where we're going to have a seismic shift in the control of that government. It's going to go past my generation, frankly. You know, it, you've got 80 and 90-year-olds trying to run the government, and it's going to go right to the 40-year-olds. Okay, the Pete Buttigiegs and the Vivek Ramaswamis is going to go right over us to them. And I actually think that they're fairly common sense based and they're fairly data dependent and policy wonks where they're going to be more focused on right or wrong as opposed to hard left or hard right. Now I could be wrong. I'm not saying who knows there's, oh, there's an Ocasio-Cortez in there and there's whack jobs on the right. So uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene. So I'm not saying it's going to be right. perfect, but I envision a scenario where they, they start to get it right and they start to put long-term plans in for the government to right-size the deficit, fix entitlements, help us with infrastructure spending, help us regenerate our education and start experimenting again the way FDR did in the 1930s. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but I like that scenario and I'm hoping to sit there in, in my uh, 
20 years from now, you call me up and you say, hey, how's it going? I'll say, well, you know, we went through a dark period after 9-11. We got sucked into two wars. We spent a lot of money, uh, but we calmed ourselves down and we had a set of people that came into government that helped fix the government and helped fix the economy and made the system fair. That's what I'm hoping. I mean, that's what I hope. My first of all, I hope I'm around in 20 years. I hope there's not 17 more pandemics. And right. I've already, I've already gotten COVID four times. So I, who I mean, how many more times I'm going to get COVID? You know. Well, I I hope you're right too. I really do. Just to be sensitive to your time, I'm going to go straight to the end here. At the end of your podcast, you do you have two segments. First of all, you call your mom, which is brilliant. And yeah, I, call her. I, she's got a lot of common sense. She does. She has a ton of common sense. I love hearing from her on any topic. Thank you. I've already said that. It's a, a brilliant <laughs> segment and it's a brilliant right. idea to have it at the end because everyone is going to listen to the end <laughs> to hear Marie. I'll, t- I'll tell you, you said that she'll love that as you know. I, I yeah, and and I really do. I love that. So, you do a deal at the end where you ask your guests. You you basically throw out five concepts and you let yep. them kind of mm-hmm. off the top of their head comment on them. I want to do that same thing with you, but I want to do it with people. Okay. And and you can be as honest, or you can. Uh, I'm going to be honest. Just well, let's do it. Okay. Okay. Five people. Uh, Cynthia Lummis. I like her. I think she's uh, uh, smart. She's common sense oriented. Uh, she's doing something really good for her state. You know, she wants it to be a digital asset center. Uh, and I'm going to be uh, doing a conference in that state because of Cynthia. So, yes, I like her. Awesome. Uh, Dwight Howard. So Dwight Howard is a complex guy. I think he's misunderstood. I love him. Uh, I consider him a, a, a very close friend at this point in my life because I had to live in a uh, Wadi Rum desert tent with him, 105 degrees at night on its way down to 40 degrees. Uh, and, you know, I love him. But I, I get why, you know, some people have ups and downs with him and so forth. But he's a very talented guy and extremely jacked. Okay, I I I would love to be in Dwight Howard's shape. Let's put it that way. I'm not, but he is. Uh, how about uh, Kathy Wood? Uh, visionary, um, you know, misunderstood. She takes a lot. You know, people are jealous of Kathy, frankly. You know, um, and she's taken a lot of risks, made a lot of money. Uh, she sees the future clearly, and she's currently riding that volatility curve. And she's on a low. I think her low was six months ago. They were writing nasty stuff about her and now her performance and her business is going back up. And I think that that's great. And I'm a huge fan. Awesome. I, uh, I really admire her a lot. I think she's great. Yeah, me too. Corinne uh, uh, Jean-Pierre. Well, you know, I mean, listen, you know, that's a hard job. Everyone knows how hard that job is. I only had one shot at that podium and I was there for 11 days. I only did one press conference. Um, it's a hard job. And, uh, I know her, I've been on television with her. Uh, she would never take advice from me or anything like that. Um, but here's what I would say if I was giving her advice and she was listening to it, relax, don't go to the notebook so much, just answer the question. And if you know the, don't know the answer, say, Hey, can I get back to you? You don't have to be on point on every single question with the president's talking points. So just relax, roll with it. 
Love it. Uh, okay, and last but not least, uh, your Uncle Anthony. You know, as I get older, I think of him all the time. You know, I'm named after him, and I would encourage people to watch uh, Band of Brothers uh, or the Private Ryan movie. You know, my uncle uh, was part of the Army Corps of Engineers. He was one of the first guys on uh, Utah Beach. Uh, lots of people in his uh, battalion were killed. Uh, he survived Omaha. He survived the Normandy invasion. He got wounded about three weeks later in a small town in France. Um, and uh, Shrapnel caught him on the right side of his body. And But he was the type of guy that he wasn't leaving. So he went to the hospital. He got fixed up. He went back to fight. He ended up at the Potsdam Conference. Uh, and uh, he was a hero. He was an American hero. He was a hero to our family. But I guess because of that time in that era, he never talked about the horror that he saw and it had a big impact on him. And so he was top of his class in high school. He was captain of his tennis team. And my grandmother thought he would be the first person to go to college from our, our family. And he could have through the GI Bill, but he elected not to. And he ended up as the uh, produce manager at the local a A&P. And his attitude was he was checking out a little bit. He felt a little, he had survivor's guilt about his uh, life. Uh, seeing so many of his friends die in the in the Second World War, so right. I have so much admiration for him, you know. And he he loved this country in a way that I can't even possibly des describe. And uh, I think he passed it on to all of us. Brilliant, Anthony. How can people uh, find out more about you? Well, this is great to be on with you. Uh, you can go to at Scaramucci on Twitter. Obviously, you mentioned Open Book. We're interviewing some fun authors coming up. And that would be great too, either way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate being on. You know, it was, it was awesome to be on with you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Have a great weekend. And uh, I'm, I am going to get back in touch with you in three years to see whether the Bitcoin stuff comes true. Oh, that's a deal. I just hoping I'm here. I'm hoping I'm, I'm not on my 29th COVID and, you know, they're chipping away at my tombstone. You know, I, I want to be here. You know, I'm enjoying the place. Keep taking that vitamin D. <laughs> All right. Amen. All right. God bless, man. Great to be on. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You too, Anthony. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Nothing in this podcast is meant to be financial, legal, or tax advice. Though there's some kick-ass information here, it's for informational purposes only. Take control of your retirement planning, but get professional counsel if you need tax, legal, or financial advice. For more content like this, join my mailing list at rogueretirementlounge.com. And if you have questions about retirement investing, entrepreneurship, business, or anything else, my email address is matt at rogueretirementlounge.com. Hey, one last thing. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give me a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll really help out the show, and I would really, really appreciate it.